This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Jesus, thank you for the cross. And we pray that today, today and today and today, you would keep us near. That our lives, like the centurion, we would recognize who you are because of our nearness, our proximity, our focus on the cross. May it be that you, through the power of that moment, now speak to us. We'll open your word, have your way, a gentle arrow, a gentle tap, or an arrow to our heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. My friend, Craig Harding, president of the Riverside Farm Institute in Zambia, Africa, tells a story. And I've just got to tell you. He said there along the river, one day a guy found a dead hippo on the shore of the river and decided to cut it up and sell the meat. He didn't want anybody else to find his treasure or to interrupt him, so he, he went home quickly and got his, his oxen, his cows together to pull this dead hippo home. Took him down to the river, latched onto that hippo corpse, and began to lead his oxen up the bank. Well, as soon as all the slack was out of line, and in fact the, the rope began to pull on the hippo, the dead hippo woke up. To his surprise, it was just a heavy sleeper. Problem is, is now his cows are tied to a hippo. The tragedy unfolds before his eyes as the hippo pulls his cows into the river and the crocodiles finish him off. Moral of the story. Don't ever assume a hippo is dead. Grab your Bibles. You probably can't guess what book of the Bible we're going to. You should just leave. Leave your marker, leave your, your little ribbon right there in the book of Acts. The theme for this conference Acts chapter 8. I reread this book of Acts this fall. Read it and reread it, just salivated on it. I discovered things I had not seen before, as is often the case when we read and reread Scripture. 
When we, when we meditate and allow prayerful study and slow digestion, we'll discover things. So, in the center of this book, in the center of the book of Acts, the movements of the early church, I was just amazed to discover there is, there is a clear DNA of the early church. There are characteristics of the early church, of the movement, that I had not seen. And I want to introduce one of them to you this morning. We'll go to breakfast, but I'm going to give you three exhibits. The characteristic of the church is that it was an arise and go church. It just it arose and went. It just got up and got gone. But how and where and to whom, I believe is of interest. And it has lessons for us. Exhibit A. You want to go to the chapter 8, the book of Acts? I find myself often attempting to do the work of God by assessing the receptiveness of the recipient. That is, I find myself thinking, well, that would be productive or not based on who is on the other end. I evaluate them. Moral of the story, never assume the hippo is dead. And Acts proves it. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Now the angel, or an angel of the Lord, spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go. You're going to catch this over and over and over. And beloved, the Bible didn't have, didn't have bold, control B or control I or control U or a highlighter to highlight the important points. It used within the text tools to communicate to us importance. One of them is repetition. And you will find this line repeated through the center of the book of Acts. Arise and go. Arise and go. It seems to be the message of heaven. And you will be interested to know that while they're all heavenly messengers, they are different. One is the Lord. One is an angel, the Holy Spirit. But they're all saying the same thing. Heaven is saying the same thing. Arise and go. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's look at these exhibits. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. I love Luke always, he loves to tell us where stuff is and, and, and locations. Luke is very careful in his, in his gospel to tell us where the shepherds were when Jesus was born, where the thieves are when Jesus is crucified. He's very careful. So he's saying to Philip, or about Philip, go 
and you're going to go into the desert. Now, if there was a, a mission for the church, it wouldn't be to the desert. There's no one there. But go. This is the desert. So Philip arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, an operative word there, great authority, under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Verse 30, ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? He asked Philip to come and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. And then it goes into the messianic prophecy of Isaiah. (laughs) Did Did you just picture this? Philip. Get up and go. Go to the desert. Oh, God. This isn't good planning. This isn't a good strategy. But Philip, Philip arose and went. Now he's standing in the desert. And the narrative invites us into this picture that he was there when no one else was there. In other words, Philip landed in the desert. He took a one-way flight to the desert. He lands in the desert and it is desert. Nothing. And then came along a chariot. And this eunuch of great authority, the treasurer of the queen, and he's flying down this highway with important business certainly to attend to. And the Spirit says to Philip, Philip, I want you to catch up to him. I can picture myself back in high school going door to door doing literature evangelism. Unequivocally, one of the best and most powerful ministries we can engage in. However, I will admit to you that as I would look down the street and see a car pulling out of the driveway, I would think to myself, whew, they're not going to be home. I was rebuked. A colleague of mine working across the street, when he saw one on my side of the street pulling out, began to run. That's the case here. Come on. If ever there was a time to just let him go, here's a man of great authority. He's, he's wealthy, well above the economic class of, of Philip. He's of great authority. He's a politician. He's a wealthy businessman. He's a celebrity in the culture. And Philip 
standing very awkwardly in the desert beside the highway, has this eunuch fly by him, and the Spirit says, run. Beloved, if there was ever a time to, 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 to dialogue with God and to, to say, God, these rich, important, busy people, they don't have time for, for me. They're stuck up and stuck on themselves. But the Spirit knew what Philip didn't. And at that exact moment, this man is reflecting on a messianic prophecy. Exhibit B. One more chapter. I'm telling you, they, these are rapid fire in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 8, Philip. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. Ananias said, here I am, Lord. It's funny. Ananias sets the example. Our question often is, where are you, Lord? When it should be, here am I. So the Lord said to him, arise and go. Did you catch that? Last time it was an angel to Philip, to Ananias. Now it is the Lord. He shows up. They're all saying the same thing. Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. This time, Luke dials us into the, to the conversation that Ananias answered, Lord, hold, hold the phone. Do you know who you're talking about? I have heard many things about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Here am I. William Barclay comments on this and says, Ananias is really one of the forgotten heroes of the New Testament. He's the one that reached out. If it was his only convert, it was worth it, huh? But if ever there was one to whom you would not go, it was Saul of Tarsus. He was, he was destroying, hurting families, destroying the church. He was persecuting. He was sarcastic against the movement. It wasn't just that he was, he was just on the other end of the spectrum. He was against it. Now, everyone knew. He'll bind you. He'll break up your family. He will send you to... He will hurt you. If ever there was an unlikely candidate to go to, to arise and go to, it would have been Saul of Tarsus. But God said, go. And the only qualification that, that 
the Lord gives Ananias is that he's praying. He's praying. That's enough evidence to move on. Exhibit A. Rich, wealthy, important. Exhibit B. One who is absolutely, totally against the movement. Exhibit C. Just turn the page again in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Here in the center of the book of Acts, we find it repeated over and over and over, almost as if God is trying to tell His church something. Acts chapter 10, there was a certain man, Caesarea, called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. And so they did it. They went to Joppa. Jump down now to verse 18. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, he had just been sleeping on the the rooftop. You remember the sheet, the crazy animals. Can't eat them, Lord. Gone, back down. Can't eat them. I still can't eat them. Now he's thinking about the vision. The Spirit said to him, so it was an angel with Philip. It was the Lord with Ananias. And now with Peter, the Spirit says, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, and... Oh, beloved. This is exhibit C. We've got to start back at A. Arise and go. Arise and go. That seems to be the message of heaven for the church. Listen. Arise and go, doubting nothing. God must have known that Peter would have doubted. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's, he's, he, he leads this Italian regiment. He's a Gentile. God must have known that there were reasons that Peter could have come up with to not go. God, I have another assignment. You have actually, you, I was supposed to... There must have been reasons that God knew would come to Peter's mind. And if not good reasons, they would have been reasons from the devil. If we are waiting for a time in which we no longer have hooks to hang our doubts on, that time will never come. Arise and go. Doubting nothing. If ever there was a case that these people would not be interested It would have been these cases. A wealthy, important figure. 
an individual who was publicly against this Christ, persecuting those who claimed him. This would be paramount to, to a, a, a communist dictator, someone who said, no, that is not allowed. I'm going to persecute it. Or in a, a, a point person, a, a soldier, a Gentile soldier. If ever there was a case, it would have been these. These were improbable, impossible situations for choosing Jesus. What were the results? What were the results, beloved, of the most impossible situations that Luke could record? Philip, or the Ethiopian, was baptized. Paul was baptized. Cornelius and a whole circle of people were baptized. All because a disciple of Jesus decided to obey the command to arise and go to the end. To what seemed impossible or improbable, at least on their from their perspective, they went. This fact that Luke shares with us is a signal testimony to the power and impartiality of the gospel of Christ, which is still today the power of God for the salvation of everyone. Everyone. The impossible and the improbable. Red, yellow, rich, black, white, poor, Islamic, atheist, pauper and politician. It's for everyone. Three exhibits. Back to back to back. Different messengers but all repeating the same message, arise and go. Could it be that heaven dreams of a church that has within its DNA an approach that just gets up and goes? Even to unlikely opportunities where the gospel is sure to be the underdog, But in every one of these underdog situations, the gospel wins. There must be something to it. Now think about it. Think about these situations. A desert highway. Saul of Tarsus? A Gentile's home? Peter certainly could have told God, well, God... If he was willing to send messengers, why, why couldn't you have just sent him here? Why do I have to go there into his home? Why? That doesn't seem very likely. But think about the creative God we serve. Who made over 400,000 different types of plants that produce flowers. He made three million different species of animals, including 75,000 different kinds of bugs. This creative God has an imagination 
where doesn't it seem reasonable that he would then actually create scenarios in which the gospel seems like it would be unlikely to be successful and then it proves itself by being successful. What if God is behind the scenes orchestrating difficult situations so that He can get the glory? What if God says, I want to make this 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 so difficult. I want to use a very secular or atheistic or combative culture. And I want my disciples to go into it. It's almost 100% probable that it will fail. But he knows what we don't. What if God delights in using the most unlikely circumstances to bring about salvation. He doesn't want just the, the regular, regular where someone comes, asks for a Bible study, you go through all 19 or 27 Bible studies, and then they say on the, bap- on the study for baptism, yes, I would like to be baptized. You set a date. The pastor. What if? What if that's fine and well and exciting? What if the evangelistic series is good, but God says, hmm, oh, I'd like to watch this. And all of heaven watches. Wow! Another one. What if heaven delights in creating unique, special, exciting, but very improbable situations. God doesn't... Consider this. God does not, in any one of these situations, go directly to the people. In every one of the situations, heaven goes to the messenger, and then the messenger has to go to the, to the recipient. Cut out the middleman, God. Just go straight there. Leave us in our happy, pappy sofas and just go tell them. There must be something else there. No, he says, I need you to arise and go. I'll come to you, but then you go to them. I have a hunch. I have a hunch. It comes from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. He said to me, verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God doesn't take away the weakness. He doesn't take away the infirmity. But through the weakness, through the infirmity, He is strong. So I have a hunch that in every one of these exhibits, Peter and Ananias and Philip, they had a weakness for that particular situation. Maybe Philip couldn't run very fast. And so when the Spirit said run, Philip said, huh? 
Okay, yeah, I don't run. Maybe Ananias had a claustrophobia. Get in a small room. And a small room with a persecutor? Can't do it. Can't do it. Send me to preach in front of crowds, God. But I can't go into a small room. I can't do one-on-one. You know how I get with one-on-one. Every one of the, we know Peter, we know Peter. He couldn't ever say the right thing, and especially to the Gentiles. So don't send Peter, who says the wrong things, to Gentiles who just don't do that. We know, we know Peter's, but, but my hunch is that in every one of these, Philip, Ananias, and Peter, they all had a weakness that somehow directly tied in to the unique situation that God had created for the gospel to win in. That is, when God did his... The angels who know us very well must have said, ooh. But, but you know, God, yes, I know. And that's why I'm going to use him and I'm going to use her because she can't speak up front and he he can't, he, can't, he, can't, he, can't, he can't do this, but that's why I'm going to use him. My hunch is that God, in his creative mind, specifically uses weaknesses we have to create dynamic, improbable situations. It's not just the recipients that are improbable, but it's us on our end. We're improbable in that situation. My dream as a high school age young person was to go into law enforcement. God asked me to give up that dream to go into pastoral ministry. Made that decision. Went into pastoral ministry. Graduated from the University of Montemorelos. Came back to the States. And within months, the local police department put out a message. They needed Someone that they could train to work street patrol on a part-time basis, but that then would, this is right after 9-11, so this is a few years ago, but that would be available in crisis situations. Bilingual, we need someone bilingual. We need someone that can deal with emotional support, that wants to work the street patrol. And God opened that door and said, because you gave me your dream, Because you surrendered your dream to me, I'm going to give it back to you. I went to work for the police department. Still carry a badge. They let me keep it. One night, working with the canine unit, it's about 11 o'clock, we get a call of an active robbery in progress at a convenience store. The clerk was able to get the license plate on the car, we are dispatched to the residence that is connected with that registration. The house is dark. I still remember the street name Factory Road. House is dark. There's an alleyway behind it. We're, we're set up in the back. There are officers that are set up in the front. We're just going to sit on the house for a minute, figure out what happened. I have a, I call it a healthy respect of the dark. Let's just be honest. I'm afraid of the dark. We're sitting there at 11 o'clock at night with an armed robber somewhere in the vicinity. In the back we sit, myself and the, their officer, and this man exits the building 
fits the description. He exits the house, fits the description. So we identify ourselves, and he takes off down the dark alleyway. We begin a foot pursuit. We radio it in. But there, after we leave our car, they're not able to receive our transmissions, <clears throat> so they lose contact with us. We could still hear them. They couldn't hear us. We're in this dark alley. It's not my favorite place to be. We find out later that the armed robbery was, a, was with a screwdriver, but at that point we didn't know. Could have been a gun, a knife. <clears throat> I remember, though, hearing over the radio... The sergeant, as we're in this dark alley looking for which direction the suspect went. I remember the sergeant coming over the radio, having not heard back from us, our our radios weren't transmitting, giving the, the most authoritative command that can come over a radio, all units, to the last known location. If you're off duty, If you're doing something else, if you're engaged in some other activity, you drop everything and go there. And in a moment, the night sky lit up with sirens. And just it seemed like seconds later, there converging on our location were men and dogs and muscles and guns. and, And they were all there for us. And I felt invincible. Even in my weakness, standing in a... It was still the dark alley. I still had a fear of the dark. But I felt invincible. Beloved, there's still a commander in heaven who will send all units to our location. Hallelujah. So go. Arise and go. The poet Edith Lillian Young says there's only one... There's, there's just one letter between disappointment and his appointment. Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be a blessing, though it may come in disguise, for the end formed the beginning, open to his wisdom lies. Disappointment and his appointment, just change one letter. For you, your weaknesses may be a disappointment, but you change the letter and it becomes his appointment. Hallelujah. So arise and go. God is not interested in our ability, you know. He's interested in our availability. But the book of Acts argues very clearly and cogently that there must be embedded in the Christian DNA. In a church that's spirit-led, must have the modus operandi. To rise and to go, even to unexpected, out of the box, unheard of, impossible, beyond our comfort zone ways. We must go. And I believe heaven delights in the unique, in the unusual, in the unexpected. Come on, we're going to have eternity to tell stories. Heaven doesn't want every story to be the same. It wants unique stories. Hey, come this Friday night for a Sabbath Vespers. We've got a story you've never heard of before. God is creative enough to create scenarios and situations that are absolutely unheard of, and he'll pull it off. One of my favorite, by a young lady I have never met. She attended Andrews University. I pastored there at Andrews University, but we never crossed paths. I read her story, though, and I forever kept it. Her name's April. 
This is her story. It was 12.30 a.m., and I intended to sprawl out on the empty seats beside me on the way from L.A. to D.C., so she's taking a red-eye flight. As soon as I saw him fumbling down the aisle, bumping passengers along the way, I knew he was my seatmate. We've all been there. Sat down. Name's Billy. I'm on my way to a conference, he said. As he continued to chatter, I wondered if he would ever come up for air. This guy's crazy, yet he had a strange joy about him. He turned to me, he said, what was your name again? April, I replied, April Grube. Excuse me, he stuttered. I didn't quite catch that. I repeated my name more clearly, emphasizing the B and the Grube, the most mistake for a V. He looked puzzled, puzzled as if I was lying. I can't believe it, he muttered. You don't know me, but I know you. I know how you think, and I know how you feel. If it weren't for you, I don't know what would have become of me. April, it is a pleasure to meet you. Here's the story. As I had stepped off a plane from Chile to Panama three years earlier, it would only be a short time until I realized my precious book was missing. I'd been reading Search for God Knows What. It had changed my life. And when I had come, when I had come close to giving up on Christianity, so I had wrote, written many notes in that book about my thoughts and reflections. There weren't even margins anymore. Little did I know... As I was standing now off the plane, that very moment, a man named Billy was taking my seat I had recently vacated. Billy was coming home a year earlier. He had enough of his parents and work, so he took off, headed to Brazil and later to Peru. On his journeys, he realized a similarity everywhere he went. There was always pain. There was suffering. Billy had long ago given up on God and his loving nature. No God would allow such pain, he thought. When there was nowhere else to go, Billy hiked to the nearest airport in Chile and bought a ticket back to the States. He had become an atheist and wanted everyone in America to know. As Billy searched for the earphones in the pouch in front of him, he discovered instead a book filled with notes and devotions. His first instinct was to laugh laugh at the sincerity of the reader, but was drawn to the written words inside. Billy had never known what he truly wanted, but somehow he knew he wanted the same things the note writer had wanted. He returned to the beginning of the book and began to read cover to cover. Billy finished the book early the next morning. As he turned the last page, he saw my name scrawled in a hurried cursive. Slowly, he closed the book, stared at the worn cover, and put it back exactly where he'd found it. He closed his eyes and began to think. Billy had no idea what he was going to do with his life once he stepped off that plane, but he had hope. I couldn't help but cry when Billy finally explained to me how he knew me. He made an impact on a person with, I made an impact on a person without even knowing it. Somehow, God used a 15-year-old girl with a little help from her favorite author to bring Billy back to God, who loves him more than anything. God works in the most outrageous ways. Arise and go, GYC. What are we waiting for? For all of our doubts to be dispelled, for a clear path of certainty before us, that time will never come. So to the rich businessmen or to the celebrity that everyone thinks is untouchable, to the Saul of Tarsus who is persecuting your faith, to the Gentile, who clearly would have no interest in Christianity. 
arise and go. It was the DNA of the original church, and it will be the DNA of the final church. Young and old, men and women, who will arise and go to the end. Coincidentally, that's exactly where God said he would be with us till. Especially, he said, I'll be with you always. And especially when you go to the end. So to those who are too busy, too important, too agnostic, too different, would we quit assuming the hippo is dead? There is life in the hippo. Ellen White makes it very plain. Acts of the Apostles. The greatest men of this earth are not beyond the power of a wonder-working God. There are in our world many who are near the kingdom than we suppose. You look at them, they're too indifferent, too agnostic, too sarcastic, too busy, too rich, too... There are those in our world, many... There are in our world many who are near the kingdom of God than we suppose. Arise and go. The hippo is not dead. Don't assume. Don't assume because of their position, because of their wealth, because of, their, of what you've heard them write or heard them say. Don't assume they're dead. And that's where Romans, Paul in Romans 8.31 just raises his hand and says, um. <clears throat> Um, what shall we say to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you have a hippo in your life? A neighbor, a family member, a country, a co-worker, a classmate, a people group, is there a hippo that you can think of that the Holy Spirit is putting on your mind right now? It's your hippo. And you have always assumed, or you are assuming right now, that it is dead. There's no way. Is there a hippo that you're assuming is dead? The Holy Spirit is just saying, not so quick, Michael. Not so quick. I want you to arise and go. It's unlikely. It's improbable. It's actually impossible. But hallelujah. Is there a hippo in your life? Someone, somewhere, someplace? And today you've heard the Spirit say to you, arise and go. GYC, let's do it again. Let's do it again. But here's your moment. Between you and God, you know the hippo. You know the person you've written off, assumed they were impossible. It's out of your comfort zone. It's a weakness you can't sh you can't do. Somebody else has got to go there. But God wants to use your weakness to show his strength. He wants to use your weakness to your infirmity to show how strong and how creative and how how he can do the impossible. Is there a hippo that you'd like to stand today and say to God, I'm no longer going to assume my hippo is dead. I'm going to arise and go. 
Is there a hippo? Do you have a hippo that you know about? You don't have to share it, but you know this is my hippo. It's my children. It's my parents. It's that classmate. It's that neighbor. I've always assumed that they're dead. But that's not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of Acts. The invitation from heaven is arise and go. So go. Go to your hippo. And in consecration this morning of our decision, Caleb, lead us in this commitment hymn. I, I will go. I will arise and go wherever you want me to go. Oh God. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.